This is KPFK 90.7 FM. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. I am Angela Birdsong, your conversation piece host, coming from KPFK Studios with something new or unusual to talk about for stimulating conversation for you while on the bus, train, plane, driving, cleaning, cooking, chilling, building, doing whatever, wherever you may be at this moment in time. Today on Conversation Piece, hear the story of Nicholas Burgos the big-hearted, generous, funny man who struggled with mental health wellness, loved by his family, and killed by Los Angeles County Deputy Sheriff Dahlia Gonzalez while he was hospitalized on a temporary psychiatric hold at Harbor UCLA Medical Center in Torrance, California. Nicholas' sister, Maria Bertigos, tells us the story when her 38-year-old brother was shot seven times by Deputy Gonzalez while experiencing a mental health crisis. Seven of nine shots hit him. Yes, say his name, Nicholas Bertigos. But first, running in South Central Los Angeles with a South Central Run Club. Welcome to Conversation Peace. To live in Ghana, To live in Don LA, where everybody try to fatten their pocket. So many hustle for the cash, so it's hard to knock it. Everybody got their own thing, currency chasing. Worldwide through the hard times, worrying faces. Shed tears as we bury brothers close to heart. What was a friend, now a ghost in the dark. Hard part about it, brother got smoked by a fiend. Try to floss on him, blind to a broken man's dream. A hard lesson, court cases keep him guessing. Plea bargain ain't an option now, so I'm stressing. Cost me more to be free than a life in the Making money off of cuss words, writing again Learn how to take a head, so I fight with my pen Late night, down sunset, like in the scene What's the worst they can do to a player? Got me lost in hell, to live and die in L.A. On bail, my people say To live and die in L.A. To live and die in L.A. Living down LA. It's the city 
of angels in constant danger. South Central LA can't get no stranger. Full of drama like a soap opera. On the curb watching the ghetto bird helicopters. I observe so many homies getting three strikes. Tossed in jail. Sweat a pen right across from hell. I can't cry cause it's home now. I'm just a player on his own now. Living life thug style. So I can't smile. Writing to my loved ones. Sitting in pictures. Thinking Cali just sun and switches. <laughs> Better learn about the dress code, B's and C's All the motherfuckers copycats, D's and G's I love Cali like I love women Cause every brother in LA got a little bit of thug in him We might fight amongst each other But I promise you this, we tear the roof off just pits To live and die in LA To live and die in LA I stumbled upon a local run club The South Central Run Club Thursday evening during their cool-off after their run in the neighborhood at Florence and Normandy in Los Angeles, California. A community organization led by South Central Native women of color, co-captains Jasmine Garcia and Zakia Brisker. South Central Run Club is open to all races, genders, and abilities, and they are a decolonial run club, which means that while they intend for their events to be welcoming and open to all, they do not align with anything that promotes white supremacy. They state, quote, that white supremacy is an illness that perpetuates violence within bodies of all races and causes harm to communities and our environment, end of quote. Thus, South Central Run Club is saying loud and clear, check all privileges before running with them and spread love. South Central Run Club aims to promote wellness, reverse stigmas, and reclaim the narrative surrounding Los Angeles communities through community runs and storytelling at landmark destinations in South Central Los Angeles. I got a chance to speak with Zakia Brisker at Florence and Normandy, one of the flashpoint sites of the 1992 uprising in Los Angeles. Find them at southcentral.run. You guys are very, very wonderful people. Thank you so much for showing up for yourselves and for South Central and the South Central Run Club. I'm very blessed to be in your company. You guys are amazing. I hope you take the spirit of the uprising with you and cause hell and everything that you need to do, whatever systems that you need to break, whatever generational curses y'all need to destroy. Harness this energy and take it with you into your your week, into your year, into your life. Don't forget about where you come from. And that is it. I'm kicking you out. Love you guys. Hi, I'm Angela Birdsong with KPFK 90.7 FM, Los Angeles. Yes, I just happened to be driving by and I had to flip a U when I saw this happening over here on Normandy and Florence. Sis, thank you for breaking the generational curse of what reminds us of this corner, right? And bringing light and love over here. Introduce yourself. What you doing? How you doing? <laughs> How long? Please. Okay, my name is Ikea Brisker. I am the co-creator of South Central Run Club. I've been doing this since on and off since 2018, but strong uh, since 2020. Uh, we started this run club because we realized that uh, there was a community need for it. Like I started running with other run clubs in the neighborhood and a lot of them say they were run all, all over LA and that wasn't the truth. A lot of people didn't want to run in South Central. So we decided like, why not run in our own hood? 
and what are the things what are the things that stop people from wanting to run in our hood and so we're a part of our like organization being a wellness organization is being truthful about what it takes to have wellness in South Central. So we have to confront the exact drivers that stop us from running out here. And so when we meet up, we have to unpack our history so we can have a esteem about what we're doing because mainstream media has worked very hard for generations to denigrate where we come from, um, which is a community of formerly enslaved Africans and migrants from people from Latin America. And so that's what we're doing out here. We're just a wellness organization, really. I love it. Thank I you. love it. I love it. So how can people find you so they can run with you? You can, you can find us on Instagram. We post all of our runs there. Our Instagram handle is southcentral.run. Or you can go to our website and just type it into the URL bar, southcentral.run. And if you go there, you can sign up for our newsletter. We send text blast as well we will not leave you out whenever we're trying to turn up together <laughs> yeah okay thank okay. you though <laughs> yeah no thank thank you thank thank you okay so you went into the meditation and the spiritual aspect so of course we're doing the physicality because we're running mm -hmm. and we're running for a lot of different things mm -hmm. we you know we all work out so we don't get the sugar the pressure and the gout mm -hmm. but also so we can work any kind of mental health issues we have mm -hmm. um get that work dust off of us mm -hmm. maybe the home dust what, whatever whatever it is but you brought in a spiritual aspect of the running i don't know what you do at the beginning but i was here for the end of it mm -hmm. How did you decide to incorporate that part into South Central Run Club? So I used to run, I ran one time with a Koreatown Run Club and it was a dude named Hakeem. I don't know if he's gonna hear this, but he used to host the meditations at Koreatown Run Club. And at the time I was also practicing mindfulness for myself because on my own health journey, I realized how necessary mindfulness is just to prevent burnout, just to prevent like, you know, being agitated or impatient with my own life, real being able to handle real time. And so when I saw that and I was like, wow, like that's the key. And I want to bring that down to South Central because there's not a lot of spaces for everybody to practice mindfulness in their community. Most of the time, it's not that people can't work out or they don't work out in South Central. It's just that we're in a fitness apartheid where there are no like public spaces for people to be in community and con to convene together. And so I think when people are around each other and practicing mindfulness, then they feel that extra push and extra support in their own health journey because they know they have a community behind them. Fitness apartheid. Legit. I believe it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So I live in Inglewood, and my sister, she's part of a run club called Keep It Run 100. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's up, buddy? <laughs> and uh, so I participate with them on, on I used to. Mm -hmm. I don't do it that often right now because of my new gig. But it was so refreshing mm -hmm. to be able to walk with other people in my neighborhood. Mm -hmm. I already walk, you know, around the Forum and down Manchester, up 90th Street and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But for there to be a group of us and do a three mile, you know, run, mm -hmm. run walk in mm -hmm. Inglewood, it was just refreshing. And it just, it was, I don't even have really, I don't know how to describe it, except that it felt great to just have to drive a few blocks from where you live mm -hmm. and not have to go way across town 
to do something for your own physicality mm-hmm. or your spirituality, 100%. right? Uh-huh. So to be right here on Normandy and yeah. Florence. So what are some of the other places that you guys go and run? Man, so we've been <laughs> almost, I mean, a lot of different places. So we pop up at different LAUSD schools and there's a whole history to unpack with there that requires our intention as far as wellness in terms of like the prison to uh the school to prison pipeline so we popped up at john Muir, audubon crenshaw fremont we popped up at the uh headquarters of the very first fat burger to ever exist which is on i think jefferson um we've popped up at sam's watermelon which is on gage in normandy and he was gracious enough the owner his name is tyrus dementor he used to be a track coach at Jefferson, and he was, and also um, <laughs> ran for the Olympic trials too. So he's like a legit runner, and he was gracious enough to give us free watermelon. We ran at Coffee Del Mundo, and we've also run at the former headquarters of the uh, Black Panther Party, where it used to stand, uh, where the building is not anymore. To unpack that history and to talk about how where is that? That is on South Central Avenue. Um, it's like off of 40th or something in South Central. It's not that far from the um, the saxophone um, statute on South Central Street. Um, and so we popped up there to unpack the Black Panther Party because a lot of people don't consider the Black Panther Party to be a wellness organization, but that's exactly what they were fighting for, but we're just using different language. Um, and we've also hosted our own events like the, the Hood Beer Run, which is the beer run is a run that's really popular in all the mainstream running crews like if you go to the you know manhattan beach or all the uh, venice beach uh beer runs are really popular but in south central not only is it like stigmatized to to have like public drinking but there are no bars down here which doesn't mean that people aren't drinking it just means that people are going to go convene on other sides of town which means that our our local economy is becoming displaced. And so we hosted the Hood Beer Run to confront the culture that says that we shouldn't be able to convene and enjoy a good beer in our own hood and to unpack the, this, this old thought of like when black and brown people get a beer in their hand, automatically they're on a pathway to alcoholism, which alcoholism is common. It's not, it's, 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 it's accessible. I shouldn't say common. It's accessible, but that's due to the divestment of the neighborhood that drives people to addiction. It has nothing to do with alcohol in itself. So we host uh, events, produce our own events to, to kind of drive that kind of critical consciousness too, as well. Okay, so my last question, I'm going to let you go because I know you have your crew right here. Mm-hmm. Where are you from? And where, and, where, and where are your people from? Okay, so I personally, so I was born in Watts, raised in South Central, grew up in Mid-City. So like, I'm, I'm what people would call an L.A. baby, which I think if you're a, a descendant of an uh, African slave in L.A., it's a very rare if you could hold down one place to live in South Central. So my story is not unlike any other black person in South Central struggling to stay in a rent control apartment so i've been displaced all over this place but what i've come to find out in my journey is that south central was where i spent most of my like adolescent and childhood and it's the place that i love the most and it's where i come back and be in community my people my dad's from watch grew up in south central my mom is from mississippi moved to wisconsin came to south central so 
it's a real southern south central vibe here <laughs> yes, yeah yes thank you so much thank you so much for <laughs> for for doing this and not being afraid of our community this is really my last question mm -hmm. the street lights mm -hmm. are not on mm -hmm. On Florence going west of Normandy. Right. Have you noticed that? Right. Uh -huh. I drive down this often and I never, I always say I want to stop right. and take a photograph of how dark it is over there. Mm -hmm. It's not safe. 100%. Because if you're crossing the street, 100%, you can get hit. You can get hit because you're not going to be able to see, see somebody. That was one of the things we had to like stress. It's, it's not, it's, it's unfair that the onus is on us. It's unfair that you know the powers that be are distracted in other things and they can't give the attention that this community needs to get as simple as like light fixtures fixed so when people come even like beforehand a part of the warm-up ritual is like i have to say runner's etiquette i have to say you have to be aware of your surroundings watch out for cracks in the sidewalks because it ain't like running in the west side where it's just paved all the way when i run in west hollywood or if i if i run as mid-city it's just paved but here it's cracks everywhere and so we literally have to run and watch out for each other and yell out step so whenever we see a cracks in the, in the pavement we yell out step and it's like echo chamber effect and we're all watching out for each other all of us have our like phone flashlights out and we're all bringing our own personal flashlights and sharing so people can make sure that they're able to see their surroundings but no 100 percent a lot of this is like when i'm bringing community together when we're coming together it's like we have to brace each other about the reality and it's it's constructive because we have to confront what the reality really is and be really real and that realness requires us to like be vocal about what we see like you can't run in this neighborhood and pretend like you don't see the divestment like if you run just down western there's so many houseless people. There's so much like broken pavement. There's so much trash on the floor. And there's places like when you run in Beverly Hills, they have literal signs that says, watch out for the crack ahead. I swear to God, it's on Robertson. And when I watched it, when I saw that sign, I was like, they, so, <laughs> so you mean the city actually can alert people of broken pavement? So, it's really just like you know we have to be honest so we can start being honest to the powers that be so we can get what we need but if we pretend like we don't see what we see or we don't run in these neighborhoods and get comfortable here we're never going to allow that honesty and that honest conversation to happen well thank you again and proudly reporting from south central los angeles on normandy and florence I'm Angela Birdsong with More Than a Sparrow Productions. Reporting for KPFK News. Llegó la chupa rosa a mi jardín. Combate mortal en el ring o la jaula en el río de la montaña. Guatemala, Cuculcán, serpiente emplumada. Nunca falla mi escopeta. Venganza en mi letra. 
soy Mochi Olmeca, no una mezcla. Contesta mi pregunta, acepta ser mestizo, las casas el racismo. Hijo, pasado de España, un trofeo del Vaticano y el Papa. Jamás yo recibí mi bendición del jaguar. Nunca de tu Dios que no hizo nada cuando nos mataban los españoles, portugueses, ingleses. Así que protege nuestras aguas como el cacique. Enriquillo con equilibrio y balance. Cada día nace un cascante namasle. Jaguar, sangre indígena en mis venas. Sangre indígena. Maria Burgos, welcome to Conversation Peace. Thank you for having me. Thanks for, for being here. What the Conversation Peace family does not know is I had a doctor's appointment and I stumbled upon a protest. You guys were there with the organization called Say Their Names LA and probably some other organizations, but you guys were there bringing awareness about your brother, Nicholas Burgos. He, he, was, he was murdered by the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department, one of their deputies. He was hospitalized at UCLA Harbor Medical Center where, where the protest was occurring. Yes. Tell us, when did he die? How did he die? What happened? So what happened was on October 6th, my brother had asked, well, actually it was October 3rd, which is Saturday. He had asked for someone to please take him to the hospital. He had been previously having mental illness issues and he was also suicidal. So he was going to Harbor UCLA Medical Center for assistance with his mental health. Um, on October 3rd, which was Saturday, he asked my mother to please drop him off to the hospital because he was having suicidal thoughts and he needed help. My mother dropped him off that Saturday. We didn't hear from Nicholas at all. Come Monday, I asked my mom, can you call the hospital because I want to see uh, how he's doing or, you know, does he need to get picked up, you know, uh, pretty much because they sometimes they only hold him for 24 hours, 48 hours. It all depends how they evaluate him. She started calling that Monday and they told her that they didn't know anybody by the name of Nicholas and uh, that he was not at the hospital. Um, she let it go. I continue calling the next day, nothing. Apparently on October 6th, my brother was shot by LASD deputy that was in the hospital taking care of another deputy that was injured uh, during her job. My brother was already being held on a 5150 due to his mental illness and trying to suicide himself. On that day, uh, this officer... Dalia Gonzalez stepped into, I believe she went into the hall, stepped into the room where my brother was. Um, he was breaking glass or attempting to break the glass with a medical device that he was holding. And um, by her going into the room, it seems that instead of her de-escalating the situation, she escalated his mental state. He turned his attention to her. Um, she was she walked into her room with the other deputy. Um, as he approached that room, he grabbed the medical device, hit the glass on that door. The door swung open. And this is all, you know, reports that we're getting from 
the police themselves you know it's nothing that we actually saw on video or anything you know that anybody has said but this is the story that the police gave us so then she shot she fired nine times um she shot him once in the chest that's when he fell once he was on the floor she shot him over and over again i believe in panic she was scared of course and you know she panicked and kept shooting she shot my brother while he was on the floor my, he did suffer with uh, seven gunshot wounds um those seven bullets hit a lot of the major organs stomach um genitals leg but we weren't informed about the shooting until friday which i believe was like four days later um we were contacted by the los angeles police department which is lapd and you know they informed my mom that there was a shooting in the hospital and my brother was shot they didn't say a deputy did it they didn't say anything else to her they just told her he was shot they would not let my mother see my brother after they informed her that he was shot we had to wait until we had an attorney in order to go see my brother in the hospital uh, once that happened, we went to the hospital to see my brother. Uh, when we got to my brother, my brother's foot was already amputated. The next day, they also amputated his leg uh, without my mom's authorization. And my brother had already gone through about, to that already in that point, it was about 12 surgeries that my brother had gone through. When we were informed of his uh, status, um, it wasn't good. My brother was not good. He was on dialysis, breathing tube, life support. All these machines were hooked up to him. They had to do blood transfusions and everything. My brother uh, had lost his intestine. It was only about maybe three centimeters, they said. And there was nothing much that they can do for my brother. Uh, we were informed that, you know, yes, he was going to die. There was nothing that they were going to be doing for him any further treatment for him or anything because his body started decomposing my brother hung on and you know there was times where i would go visit him and he would kind of open his eyes and i was able to kind of talk to him but you know he couldn't talk back to me he would just open and close his eyes um and i knew that you know he was still there but on november 1st uh, my brother did pass away he was taken off life support. That is such um, a horrific situation of your brother being being murdered and being shot so many times. So I have so I have so I have so many questions as I'm sure you guys do. So first, let me let everybody know that that's listening that this happened during the pandemic, and that's why there was difficulty for the family to to go into the hospital. To, to see him visit your your brother. Yes, correct. Right. So that this was during October during during the pandemic, October 2020. So before I ask some questions about the murder and where is this deputy now, tell us about who your brother, who was Nicholas Burgos? Oh, Nicholas was a hardworking guy, you know, a very independent person. He pretty much, you know, he, I mean, he was funny. He was a, he was really good. You know, um, 
he was out there in our community helping out, you know, other people that needed resources. You know, he would help the homeless guys that, you know, live in the corner. He would go uh, give them blankets, sweaters, you know, because even during uh, before his shooting in October, it was cold. You know, and these people were out there in the street, hungry. He would take food to them or he, you know, he had a grill he bought. He'll pull it to the corner and cook for them, you know, carne asada, you know, and he did that for them and he enjoyed doing that, you know, and he would be like, oh, these are like my friends, you know, they're really cool people, you know, just because they're homeless doesn't mean anything, you know, they're, they're good people. And that's who Nick was. Nick was also a father to, you know, his he loved being with his son, you know, he loved going fishing, you know, he would go fishing to ease his mind. Um, he would go out and travel to different states just because, you know, he just wanted to go see the world. And that's who my brother was. You know, he was always a happy person, always, you know, joking around, dancing, just being silly, you know? So that right. was my brother. Right. And so in, in the birth order, how many brothers and sisters are there? And where, where, where does Nick fall in the birth order? In the birth order, Nick is... He's the the fourth child. The fourth child out of how many? Out of seven. Out of seven. So fourth yes. out of seven. Yes. Okay. And where are you in, in the birth line? I was born um, literally a year, maybe nine months after Nick. <laughs> oh, okay. So, okay. Okay. So yeah, that was kind of like my twin brother there. <laughs> yes. Yes. Me and Nick would always spend a lot of time together. Yeah, we did. You know, we we grew up together. That was my friend growing up. You know. Yeah. So you guys grew up very close, being being nine months apart, for for sure. <laughs> now, when did you guys know notice that he started having some mental health challenges? Um. Well, he hadn't like really said anything. I did notice it back in a little bit before February before the pandemic, but he was living alone. He, like I said, very dependent guy, you know, he, he would always go to work for 4 a.m., you know, and he lived in his own apartment and everything. During the pandemic, he did lose his job, you know, and that really hurt him because he was like, oh, I can't pay my rent anymore. I can't, you know, the, the company shut down because they, they can't function anymore due to the pandemic. And you know, he's like, I've been looking for work and it's really hard right now. Nobody wants to hire anybody because everybody's getting sick. And, you know, he was already depressed, you know, because of other things that he was going through in life, you know, and that just like, I guess, triggered it more, I can say, because then he was like, you know, someone I didn't even know or recognize, you know, my, it, that wasn't him, you know, laying there, slouching, crying, you know, depressed, that that was never him, you know, and, and me being close to him, you know, I would always go sit with him, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll sit there, listen to him. So he tells me what, you know, he was going through or whatever, you know, and then he told me, he's like, you know, sis, he's like, I, I don't think I'm going to make it. I don't think I'm going to be able to do this. He's like, you know, and he would cry and he would tell me like, oh, just get away from me. I don't want to cry. I don't want to be crying in front of you. And I'm like, no, you know, I'll sit here. You tell me, you know, I'm never going to judge you. I said, all men cry. 
I said, men do cry. I said, you don't have to be embarrassed. If there's something you need, whatever, let me know. I go, I'm your sister. I got you. You know I got you. I And I've always told my brothers, like, if there's anything you need, I don't care what it is. You know, if I have it, you can have it. If I can help you, I'll help you. You know, and he was like, I'm just proud of you because you've always had your stuff, you know, together. Look at you. You have two kids. You have your own house. You're good. You know, and he's like, I'm over here being your burden. And I said, no, you're not my burden. I said, you're my brother. And whatever it is you need, I'll be there for you. And that's when he, you know, admitted to me. He said, well, he's like, can I tell you something? I said, yeah. He's like, you see these things in my arm? He had two big slashes on both his arms. And he said, well, I tried to kill myself a few months ago. And um, I wasn't successful. And, you know, I broke down. That really hurt me to hear my brother say that. He said, you know, I, I've been going through stuff and I hear voices and they're telling me to do things. And he's like, I, I don't know what's going on with me. And so, you know, my first thing was to ask him, are you using drugs? You know, what, what are you doing? Like, you know, what do you hear? What do you feel? And he did admit, you know, yeah, you know, he's like, I messed up. He said, and I said, what do you mean you messed up? He said, you know, he's like, you know what I mean? And I said, okay, I go, I'm not going to ask you anymore. And then he's like, you know, about a week later, he's like, sis, I think I need help. Like, I need you to help me. Like, please help me. And I said, well, tell me, you know, more like what's going on. And he's like, well, you already know I messed up. I started doing drugs. He's like, and now these voices won't leave me alone and, and they're continuously bothering me and, and I don't know what to do. I feel like I want to hurt myself again and that's the only way it's going to go away. So I told him, okay, you know, I'm going to help you, you know, that same week, you know, I started calling places, trying to find help for him. I even called like uh, the suicidal hotline. There were no help. There were no help at all. You know, and it was like, okay, I, I, I'm not understanding what, what these lines are for. If they're not going to help anybody. You know, oh, if he's not having it right now, you know, call only when he's doing his mental state or whatever's going on with him, which is not helpful. You know, and then I called Harvard UCLA and I asked, you know, for some information. And I took him there, you know, because they told me that they can help him with his mental health. So I took him to that hospital, you know, thinking that he was going to get the help, you know, and he was going to a, a psychologist. He was going to his meetings. Um, he was getting medicated. And but I just think that medication made it worse. You know, it, he was always sleeping. It, it wasn't him anymore. When he woke up, he was groggy. You know, he never got violent with me or anybody at home. But, you know, you, you would see him. He was just so different. He wouldn't eat anymore. Um, it, it was really sad to see my brother like that. And then for me, you know, it was it's really hurtful because, um, you know, I, I was the one seeking that help for him at Harvard UCLA Hospital. And for my brother to end up dead inside that hospital, that was like, the worst thing ever, because I, I would have thought that my brother would have been safe in there. You know, that hospital is supposedly 
you know, a mental health clinic in there and they have trained professionals. I don't know what happened during the time of when that deputy and him met, you know, from what I know is that they did tell the deputy that she needed to leave the room because there was a team that, that was going to respond to him because they were trained to deal with, you know, mental health patients. But the officer, you know, she refused to leave and she just made the matters worse. And, you know, that, that really hurts because it's like, you know, I have some type of guilt in me because of that. And because of that, I think that, you know, a lot of other things like, you know, um, my mother, she stopped talking to me. She stopped talking to me and I know she, you know, there's a little bit of hate there because she told me, she's like, you're the one that killed them. You took them there, you know? And I was like, yeah, you know, like, what do I tell her? I didn't, I did take my brother there to that hospital, you know, but I'm not going to blame myself either. You know, I was really just trying to help my brother. I wasn't one of those family members that, you know, Hey, you know, this person's dealing with drugs and this person's dealing with mental issues. Let's kick them out to the street and let them figure it out. You know, I was actually there trying to help my brother, seeking for help, trying to get clinics to help him. I had actually found one in Pasadena that, you know, required, you know, you, you had to pay. He, we didn't have insurance. He didn't have insurance. We are from a low income, you know, community and family. And, you know, I was like, okay, well, you know, I just have to figure out how I'm going to pay for this and how to get them in there, you know, but, you know, I just asked them to be a little bit patient with me, but it, you know, it just happened too fast. I guess, you know, his mental state, you know, I couldn't tell his health, hey, wait for me, you know, so it, that's what happened. What was his, his diagnosis? Um. I'm not truly sure um, on the diagnosis. I never really got that diagnosis from the doctors. And of course, due to HIPAA, they didn't want to tell us. Uh, I'm sure they did tell the attorneys, but not us. <laughs> and um, I really didn't uh, know. But I mean, for him to have been medicated, it had to be something that they saw that he needed medication for. Not sure if it was a skin and um, depression. I have a sister who deals with mental health challenges also. She has been diagnosed with major depression and, and panic attacks. And, and, she, all, and, and she, she speaks publicly about it. So that's why I'm able to say that. Yeah, it, it took a while for her to, to get her diagnosis, for her to, you know, get the right medication the right type of support and to know how to navigate through, through that complicated system to, to be able to find affordable or free healthcare, mental healthcare. So what, what were, so your, you know, so your brother, you know, helping the unhoused, the homeless, what were, what were some of his dreams? What was some of Nicholas's dreams? Well, Nick, Nick had a lot of dreams, <laughs> you know, but no, he was, uh, I mean, his dreams were just pretty much him being happy, you know, like he just wanted, he didn't, he never really had those dreams where, oh, I want to be super rich and be this rich person. No, 
he just always wanted to be comfortable. You know, he just, you know, like he said, you know, he always wanted just to help people that needed help and, you know, be with his son and just have a happy little family. He didn't really want big things, you know, just traveling. And that's really all he really wanted. You know, one of his biggest thing was traveling everywhere. He wanted to travel the world, you know, and he got a few, you know, states he hit on his own, you know, he took off and drove off and, you know, he would call me, take little pictures here and there and look at this scene, look how beautiful this is. And, you know, and his favorite place was the beach. He was always looking for, you know, places to take pictures at the beach and he loved the beach, you know, but. Now in, in regards to your brother being murdered, it sounds like he was not able to tell his side of the story. He was never able to tell his side of the story because he was never up or wasn't able to wake up from that because if they took any of the tubes off, he would have died. So he was never able to give his side of the story as to what happened that day to him. Are there any other accounts from medical staff there who were able to, to, to witness that besides the, the, the reports from, from the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department? There were doctors and nurses there, but, um, you know, they, they wouldn't talk to us. They wouldn't say anything to us. They didn't. And then not only that, you know, their thing was, oh, we can't talk to you because the sheriff told us that we're not allowed to talk to you guys. It's being under investigation and we're not supposed to say anything to you guys. There was a nurse that tried to talk to my mom. My mom said that right away, you know, someone came, a police officer came, pulled her off and told her that she's not supposed to talk to my mother about anything. And uh, I'm not sure if the lady was fired or they just removed her completely from that floor or that section itself because my brother was already in the ICU and the nurse was trying to talk to my mom to let her know what happened because apparently she was one of the persons that were there that night. So she wanted my mom to know. She did kind of talk to a janitor person. I hope I don't get in trouble. But that janitor person did tell my mother that um, after my brother was shot, the deputy did not allow anybody to assist my brother. They let him out to bleed for hours. Um, after she shot him, uh, the doctors wanted to go help him, but she did not allow it and called for backup and stuff. So nobody really allowed um, the doctors to actually immediately go to my brother till after hours. And this is how my brother bled out. He lost a lot of blood. By the time my brother was getting surgeries, a lot of the surgeries needed to be stopped because he bled out so much. He was already practically dead when the, you know, the doctors were able to get to him, you know, and some of the bullets were still in him when my brother passed away. They weren't able to take all the bullets out of him while he was alive. The bullets actually came out once he passed away. My goodness. My goodness. Okay, let's take a short break right here. My name is Angela Birdsong. You're listening to Conversation Piece. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to Conversation Peace. I am your host, Angela Birdsong. The 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline is simply 988. You can call or text 988. The 988 Lifeline provides 24-7 free and confidential support for people in distress, prevention and crisis resources for you or your loved ones, and best practices for professionals in the United States. Also check out the website at 988lifeline.org for more specific resources. Maria, before we went to break, you just described what happened to, to your brother. They just left him laying on the ground and, and treated it as if he was a, a criminal instead of a patient in a hospital. Sure there for, for, for care and, and medical services. Have there been any other police-involved shootings at UCLA Harbor Medical Center? Before, um, before, the brother, uh, before the shooting of my brother, yes, there was another shooting back in 2015. There was a young man named uh, Ruben Herrera who was also there for mental health issues. Um, and he was also shot and killed inside the hospital. Now, um, if you can confirm this, I, I, in my, in my research on, on your brother's murder, there, there was some hospital staff that said that what they observed was incorrect and that they, the deputy should have waited for, for the pet team to come upstairs. Yes. The um, nurses and doctors did inform Dahlia that there was a team coming to that room where my brother was at to deal with him and that she needed to leave, you know, immediately so they can deal with the situation. And while that didn't happen and she took, you know, she took the matters into her hand. Um, So where is Deputy Dahlia Gonzalez now? I believe that she's still working. They did not take her off of work. Um, There was a press meeting or conference said that she did a good job in handling the situation you know, disregarding that, you know, it, it, it really honestly wasn't because there was other people there that she could have hit, you know, and shot. There was other people that could have died or she could have caused something more worse, an explosion because there's gases in the hospital. But, you know, that didn't matter. You know, according to him, she did a good job and she's still working. What are the family's demands for this travesty of the murder of, of your brother, Nicholas? Um, our demand, um, we filed a lawsuit asking for um, the killings at public places to stop, especially hospitals. You know, we're demanding that the Department of Health Services, you know, take some action, you know, with the patients killing and you know, for them to remove the sheriffs from hospitals. There's no reason why a hospital should have any type of weapon in there. We, as people, we go there to get service for issues or hurts or whatever we're dealing with, not to go get killed inside a hospital. You know, it's like, now it's like, I think about it twice when I'm sick or whatever, something's wrong. I'm like, I don't want to go to the hospital. You know, because that hospital there is closer to my house and that's where I would go. And I don't want to go to that hospital because that's where my brother was killed. You know, I don't want to have any services from them, you know, and that's 
what our family wants. We want her, Dahlia, to pay for what she did to him. You know, it was unnecessary to use that lethal force, especially for a mental patient. She should have been um, informed about that, or she should have known that that fourth floor was meant for someone with mental health issues, and she was going to eventually run into somebody having that mental crisis. And she should have never intervened. It was it was not for her. It wasn't her job. She doesn't work for the hospital. And she disregarded all the hospital policies by, you know, doing what she did. Right. And I, I you know, because I, I, I go to that hospital for, for my medical services. And I never really thought about why the sheriffs are there at that hospital. I, I, I never, it's it just, I never really thought about that before because when I go to Kaiser or Cedar sinai or other hospitals here in the Los Angeles area, I do not see law enforcement there. Why does the Los Angeles County Department of Health Services have that type of contract for, for, for guards? But you just said it, there's a difference between Kaiser and you know, the Department of Health Services, this is a county facility versus a private facility. You know, it's like, if you have insurance, you're good to go to Kaiser. But you, you know, if you don't, then you're left, you know, to go die at one of these um, county hospitals, you know, and it, I, I don't know if you ever noticed, but most of the county hospitals have deputies with guns in there. And I really think that, you know, they shouldn't, it's unfair. It's really unfair. Right. Yeah. And I, you know, and I know also when when I enter the hospital, I have to go through a security screening, which I don't have to do when I go to any other hospital to, to, to visit somebody. But there I have to go through a screening. And a few times when I had gone, um, you know, I bring a book with me and they weren't going to let me bring in my book highlighter. And, and I, 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 I refused to give them my, I said, I, you're going to have to bring somebody here because I'm reading and this is how I'm, you know, highlighting my book. They did let me bring in my bookmarker, but to, to police, to police patients in such a manner and to have, like you said, a lethal response to a patient who is not threatening someone's life. So I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad that's part of, of, of the family's um, demands. Tell us about the organization, Say Their Names LA, that we can find on Instagram. You, you were sh- um, sharing in the pre-interview that they have something that occurs on Tuesdays. What, what is it that ha- this happens? Uh, Say Their Names LA uh, pretty much does a, um, a clubhouse. It's co- called the Clubhouse. Uh, pretty much they bring into the platform um, impacted families, you know, there's many other families that have been impacted by police shootings, you know, um, that I myself didn't know about. And, you know, I've learned through them that, you know, I'm, I, I'm not the only one out there. There's many cases, uh, I'm going to say about 600 cases where, you know, the police has shot other people with mental health issues or, you know, because the officer said he was scared and he shot, you know, and they're not shooting you one time, two times. They're shooting so they're 
clips unloaded. You know, that's nine shots. And, you know, there's been others that have been shot 12 times, 17 times. All that lethal force is unnecessary. You know, um, supposedly they have those beanbag guns. Why isn't that used towards a mental health person? You know, they're... I don't, I don't even know. It's very mind bothering. You know, I don't, I don't, I didn't even understand that. Right. Yeah. Which, which goes back to a lot of different community based organizations are saying, let's remove some, some money from the police department and put it with trained people to handle mental health crisis and even you know doctors from harvard ucla they you know they came out they rallied with us um they they supported us a lot of the nurses did too and you know they don't they don't feel safe with the sheriffs there you know because their life is in danger as well you know what if dahlia would have just like you know because she's so panicked she's just shooting shooting what if she would have shot one of the nurses or doctors you know she's not looking at who she's shooting she's just shooting you know, because she's scared. Right. Know? And that's how they're trained. Yes. That, that's how they're trained. Because you said she, she emptied her clip, nine bullets, seven hit your brother. Where did the other two bullets go? Exactly. Maria, is there anything else that you want us to know about, about your brother, Nick, and how we can support you guys' cause? You guys can go into Google. Um, I don't have an Instagram yet for him or Facebook, but you guys can Google his story. Um, you know, pretty much we're just asking for support on this. We do have a, uh, there's um, a petition going out where we're trying to see if we can get enough signatures to remove sheriffs from um, Department of Healthcare Services in all hospitals because it, we're, we don't need guns in the hospital. We don't need sheriffs killing our people when they're out there having a crisis. Um, you can look them up through say their names and he should be there as well. Okay. And, you know, the only other support that I would ask is, you know, if we do have another rally or whatever, and if anybody wants to support the family that way, that'll be great. It would be very much appreciated. Okay. Okay. And thank you. Thank you so much for, for your time and giving me this, this interview to, to share with the conversation piece audience who Nicholas Burgos was and, and how loved he was and his work that he's done and in the community for, for the voiceless, for, for those who um, normally for him to go out there with a grill and to cook food my goodness, that's a generous man, for sure. For sure. Okay, for crisis support, helplines, and warm lines, go to namiurbanla.org under resources. And to find a NAMI affiliate in your area, go to nami.org. I'm Angela Birdsong. You're listening to Conversation Peace. Thank you to Maria Burgos 
of Say Their Names Los Angeles for keeping her brother's name, Nicholas Burgos, in the spotlight to tell his story and to fight against law enforcement being in healthcare settings. Thanks to Zakia Brisker, co-captain of the South Central Run Club. For more information, check out southcentral.run. Thank you to our audio engineer, Wendell Handy, Michael Washington of M. Rousseau for the opening and closing theme song, and always you, our listening audience. To replay, revisit, review any of my previous shows, and to reach me on social media, go to mtasproductions.com. Follow KPFK on all social media platforms as you listen to us worldwide anytime on kpfk.org. I'm Angela Birdsong. Once again, thank you for allowing me to share this special experience of conversation piece with you. Remember to be on guard, stand firm in the faith, be brave, be courageous, and let all that you do be done with love. Next, Freedom Now. Freedom Now.